This is an EWTN Radio Newslink. I'm Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection, the president of the French Catholic Bishops' Conference, saying the church in France is under pressure. But for Archbishop Eric de Moulins-Beaufort, that's no cause for despair. He told the Catholic News Agency the church in France is being jostled in many ways, but it is reacting, which proves it's alive. In October, the conference leader was among the French church officials offering comfort to Catholics after an attacker shouting Allah Akbar stabbed three people to death at the Basilica of Notre Dame in Nice. In November, he successfully challenged the French government's proposed 30-person limit on mass attendance amidst rising coronavirus cases. And in early December, he had a private audience with Pope Francis in which he discussed the French president's initiative against Islamist separatism. And from our just-in-time department, a new album recorded by the Scola Cantorum of the London Oratory School just before the pandemic hit, Sacred Treasures of Christmas, entered at number two in the Billboard Traditional Classical Chart. I'm Teresa Tomio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Tell me what's going on. I never thought I'd be calling you. I hope you're going to agree with me. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not into predictions, but you want me to make a prediction? But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah, I really didn't want to call you about this. All right, let's answer your question and give you some good news. Yay. You're my second favorite Italian person. You seem like an honest guy. A lot of people suffer when they have to listen to me. So at least you're getting your daily dose of suffering right now. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I always wondered about when he says that. Here's Dr. Ray. Actually not. I mean, here would mean present in some physical way. Um, listen to Dr. Ray. There's Dr. Ray over there. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I get a little too scrupulous regarding language. Good to have you with me on the Doctor is in this Monday version, E Person Monday. I'm sitting here with a oh, now it's a stack again because I've been printing them out. I didn't. I didn't want them on my phone anymore. That just confuses me. I scroll down. I can't find the ones I want, so they are printed out. I appreciate it. Some of you uh, send E persons coming from the radio show. Others of you send it coming from the TV show. Uh, there's a uh, little little blurb on the TV show where my producer says, we want to hear from you. And then they give the website. And part of the reason I suspect that is the case is that because of the number of E-persons I get, sometimes I will tell the folks, can you, can you please call the radio show? And I can ask some questions, and I talk a lot faster than I type. And not always, but Sometimes I'll say, what radio show? Who are you? I want to talk to Roy. Roy Ganaldi, or whatever that dude's name is. The guy that was on that TV show, I didn't catch his name. <laughs> so, But anyway, I got a bunch of them here. And I don't know if, if some of these from the TV show, I don't know if they're at all listening, but I always send them a little message, say, I addressed your question on E-Person Monday, at which point they say, what's E-Person Monday? But that's what this is. Then I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. Okie dokie. A client will come in my office and they'll be confused. Well, okay, you could, but I repeat myself. They'll be confused because let's say they're dealing with a surly teenager. This is a kid who argues with them, debates with them, gets kind of snippy, snotty, snooty. I wonder if our Lord did that, you know, all SN words. Snippy, snotty, snooty, snarky, bunch of those. They don't understand it. 
because they look at their own childhood and they say, what, what is going on here? I, I was a teenager. I never talked to my mom that way. I don't get it. Why do they have such liberty, such license to talk this way? Now, there's a lot of answers to that, and a lot of them vary from client to client. But I will often ask them, I'll say, um, you were a teenage, let's say, girl once. You didn't talk to your mother this way? No, not at all. I wouldn't dream of it. Why not? I don't know. I just knew. You knew what? Something would happen. What would happen? I don't you I don't know. Why don't you know? It never happened. Why didn't it happen? I never did it. Why didn't you do it? Something would have happened. What would have happened? I don't know. Why don't you know? It never happened. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. Those of you old enough to remember Abbott and Costello? 80% of my audience is going, oh! Stick to this past century, Dr. Roy. I called it, I've labeled it, the perception of authority. I, I think that past generations had more of a perception of authority. Let me, let me speak to the grandparents here for a second. Many of you grandparents are, are a little confused as you, as you watch, for example, your children with their young children, your grandchildren. And some of you are thinking, wow, why are they, why are they letting them get away with this? Why are they letting them act like that? We didn't raise them that way. Why are they doing this? And sometimes those very same children will, will come to you as grandparents. Now, not always, but matter of fact, maybe not most of the time, but, but here and there they do come to grandma and grandpa and say, what do I do here, mom? You had six kids. Tell me, why is this four-year-old acting this way? What did you do when we did this, mom? And some of you will say, well, I don't know because you never did it. Well, what did you do when, what if you put us on the steps and we got up? Well, you you didn't get up. Why not? He just gets up. I put him there. He just jumps up. Somebody asked my wife once that uh, when we had the 10 kids at home and at one point they were all under 12. Yeah, I didn't go home. You kidding me? I UPSed her things. Honey, do you need anything? How's it going? I drove by yesterday. Did you see me wave? So one of the young parents, because she was a young parent too at that time, there's a whole bunch of young parents at the church and said uh, Randy what, what do you what do you do when you when you send them to the corner and, and they won't go and my wife kind of looked at her perplexed and said, I, I I don't know why they go on this program you you've heard me talk about blackout and we we have used blackout which is a complete cessation of privileges and you've heard me talk about it as a response to a child who won't accept initial discipline. They won't sit on the steps. They won't write the essay. They won't go to their room, etc. You black them out. You shut down all privileges until they comply with the consequence. Now, we never did blackout with any of our children because of discipline defiance. We did it for heavy, egregious offenses. 
We gave them like a week blackout or indeterminate blackout until they got their act together. We did that. But we didn't ever, that I can recall, ever have to say, well, you're blacked out until you go stand in the corner. You're blacked out until you give me the essay. Or you're blacked out until you decide to call Grandma and apologize. We never had to do that. Now, why? Because we were such great disciplinarians? No. My, my wife was a far better disciplinarian than I am. Why not? Early on, the kids learned that she meant what she said. She wasn't going to tell you six times. She was going to follow through very shortly. And believe it or not, the younger kids take that lesson quicker than the older kids. The older kids, if you you let this kind of cycle go on, by the time they're six, seven, eight, nine, uh, they're going to just stare at you. Like you and what army here, Ma? So she established, and she knew she had to establish authority. It was it was survival. She had to establish authority because there was a million of them. They were all over the place, like that movie. She must have fed them after midnight because they multiplied. Every time I came home, there was another kid there. I go, honey, why can't you just go to the mall, get a sweater or something? So that perception that the kids had of her authority made it less likely, way less likely, that they were going to challenge her authority. Now, were they still sneaky? Did they still do all kinds of kid scrap? Oh, yeah, of course, lots. Maybe more than yours. But in terms of flagrant defiance of her discipline, it didn't occur because they learned very early that she had authority and she would follow through with it. She would make it happen. Okay, Dr. Ray, how do you make it happen? Well, part of it is you have to mean what you say and you have to have a demeanor that means what you say and then when you scream and carry on like a lunatic, that's not a good demeanor. A demeanor is more of calm, kind of resolute, sort of squinty-eyed Clint Eastwood, you know? Maybe you could play music in the background. From the good, the bad, and the ugly. My wife said, she's the good, I'm the bad, and the ugly of our parenting duo. That perception of authority has disappeared in large part since the generations have passed. I think those who are now grandparents, or particularly those who are great-grandparents, had much more natural authority than the young people. And part of it is because the young people rely on techniques and particular sophisticated, supposed expert advice, which can work, I'm not saying it can't, but without that perception that the child views you, of having authority and and willing to do what you said you're going to do and follow through on it confidently, calmly. It's really hard to make anything work for you. It truly is because it's all negotiable now. It's all something that I can challenge you about. So, the perception of authority. If you get it, you got it. As Father Larry would say, good. When we come back, your e-persons. 
Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I'm Dr. Stan Williams. Contemplate the universe with me. When the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Jesus did that twice, suddenly appearing inside a locked room. He also walked on water a couple of times, and once, as he got into the boat, the boat suddenly arrived at shore. Remember when Philip baptizes the eunuch and suddenly disappears? Then in Emmaus, Jesus blesses the bread and likewise disappears. Now all of this and many other biblical miracles can be understood if there is just one more than four space-time dimensions to reality. Crazy? Well, lately physicists have been explaining how reality probably contains as many as 10, 11, or even 26 dimensions of space-time. Impossible? We have no idea. But God knows, and one day you will too. At AveMariaRadio.net under resources, explore the universe with me. I'm Dr. Stan Williams. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child and wondering what Santa would bring? Well, many developing countries like Haiti, most children don't make Christmas lists and they don't expect Christmas gifts. Often every penny their parents earn must go to basic needs like food, shelter, and water. Now picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift. You can spark that magical moment by sending them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary in the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Expanding your superego while shrinking your id. Dr. Ray Grindy here. Thank you so much for joining me on The Doctor Is In on this particular version of The Doctor Is In, which is E-Person Monday. We take your email, and I every once in a while slip, call a mail, linguistically insensitive. You know, okay, I got to com. I got to comment on this. This just hit me. Maybe this is a monologue topic. Yeah, I'll save it. I'll save it. I don't need to tease you. Let's go to the e-persons here. Dr. Ray, I have heard you say Now, the reason I selected this email is because it shows you it illustrates that people can hear differently than what you said it happens all the time all the time and that's part of the reason in in uh, relationships marriages where you spend an awful lot of time bickering over what you said and what you meant and why you didn't mean that now this this particular uh person is, is is she's very gentle and she she just wants some clarification i've heard you say more than once that therapy doesn't really help in the long run I'm confused by this. Why do you say that? Okay. Diana, what I really said was, therapy is not the magical cure that many people think it is. All right? It is held out as the fix-all 
for pretty much every human problem. And the research says that, yes, it can work, and it can work with a cooperative client who is willing to, to work in tandem with the therapist. But by and large, the whole umbrella of therapy is well below 100% effective. Well, I'm going to go so far as to say it's well below 50% effective. Okay? And that's what the research says, not what I say. So that's what I said. So Diana says, my daughter had therapy, and my husband and I had therapy when our relationship with her was so bad, she had to move out at age 20. Both therapists helped so much, and today, five years later, our relationship is much healthier. We get along well, and when problems arise, we are able to work through them in a healthy way. Well, Diana, I see a lot of people in situations like that. Matter of fact, that's probably the number one referral I now get, which is the adversarial relationship between adult children and their parents. That's very common. And yes, I've had success. I don't always have success, that's for sure. But there are times when I've had success, and, and yours sounds like you had success. But my guess would be, that there was a certain openness, not only from your daughter, but from you and your husband, in wanting to make this better. That'd be my guess. A lot of folks, I'll, they'll come into my office, and they have no intent to make it any better, but they're coming in to see if there's some kind of magical fix they hadn't thought of yet. So that's what I'm saying. It was not a blanket statement that obviously therapy is no good. Because if that's the case, why am I? Why do I do it? I am pleased in whatever, if you want to call them successes, that happen because of counseling with me. But I'm also realistic in recognizing that many people don't get much better through therapy either because they don't want to they don't work at it they're coming for the wrong reasons or they think it's magic sprinkle dust and that in fact is pretty much what the research on therapy says now she has a second question here if people remember things incorrectly over time okay now i want to i want to clarify that too what i said was when we are absolutely certain there was a high-powered emotional event that we witnessed, say, for example, the shuttle disaster or Kennedy's assassination, something really, really searing, and we will never, ever, ever forget where we were, what we were doing, because it's locked into our mind. I said... There's some fascinating research that says over time, some of those memories <laughs> can shift. It's true. They can, believe it or not. Now, I'm not saying that happens to everybody. I'm just saying that that is a possibility. That's what I said. So taking that, Diana said this. How can the authors of the New Testament have recorded the gospel events and teachings accurately? Did God somehow enable them to remember accurately? Yes. That has been the historic Christian belief, which is we can't trust the Bible unless God guarantees it. 
unless God is communicating to us through the personalities and the writing styles of the authors the truth that he wants to communicate. So sure, uh, I would look at those gospel stories, and if in fact God were not inspiring those authors, I would say, well, there's a bunch of guys who wrote some stuff. I don't know how much of it's accurate, how much of it isn't. And as a matter of fact, Diana, there are a lot of supposed scholars who say this. We can't trust we can't trust the gospels. We can't trust scripture. Why? Well, we don't know if these people are recalling it accurately or not. We don't know what they're saying. But part of the belief system of Christians is that God enabled these people who wrote these books, including the Gospels, to record them accurately. Not necessarily every single nitty-gritty detail, but in terms of what God wanted us to know about in this case, in the lives of the life of Jesus. So, yes, you're right. If God was not behind the writing of the New Testament, then you can't know. But if he is, you can know. And then it doesn't really matter all that much that they were written by humans, because the real hand was from God. All right, what do we got? I got to try to try to find one I can get in before the break here. Ooh, ooh, ooh. No, I don't do that one. Oh, let me let me do this. Yeah, I'll do this one. Daughter in the third grade. I found out yesterday she had her diary taken from her in class. I don't, I'm not big on diaries. I really am not. Diaries are the old-fashioned way of I convey my feelings and my thoughts, and there's nothing in them to help me straighten them out. It's just my rehearsal of usually my anger and my grudges and my hostilities and how I'm being picked on and how life is unfair. Diaries are not anything that really, really helps you, especially if they're emotionally laden, to work through your emotions. Today I found out from the teacher that my daughter had written awful things about the teacher. She emailed, she emailed me pictures of what she had written. She wrote that she hoped her teacher would die. She hoped her teacher was dead. And that she wanted to punch her teacher. Dr. Ray, I'm horrified. Why would you be, Mom? I diaries are venues for this stuff. Okay? I wouldn't first of all, I wouldn't be horrified. It was a, it was a nasty thing to say, and you're gonna deal with it. And this is a third grader, an eight year old, who is is just letting her emotions run amok because she just doesn't like this teacher. I'm surprised the teacher didn't take this to the principal. If I were the teacher, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably sit down with the kid. I'd say, okay, tell me, how, tell me why you hate me. I want to punish her, but I want it to be meaningful so she understands the severity of what she's written. I'm going to make her write an apology, but she needs more than that. Should I have her talk with our priest? I'm not even sure she knows how awful her words were. Oh, well, I agree with you on that one, Mom. I don't think she does. Okay. Uh, if this is a kid who, by and large, is okay in class, she, by and large, is a relatively normal-looking third grader, then something about this teacher uh, is just real distasteful to your daughter. And 
she just let it all hang out. What I would do is I would take her in to talk to the teacher. You there too. And find out, okay, you have to tell your teacher why you wrote these things. Now what you're going to find out is she's going to clam up. Um, <clears throat> and you have to tell her beforehand you can't clam up. If you clam up, I'm going to do a lot about it. All right, you're going to you're going to be shut down until you decide you want to again come in and talk to your teacher. There's not going to be this staring down at the floor not saying a word. That's not going to happen. Then I'd probably make her write a letter of apology and I probably would take privileges away for a couple of days, all of them. I'd say, "Yeah, because what you did is nasty." Just very very nasty. Well, she's mean. I don't like her. She's mean to everybody. Nobody likes her. Well, that may be. But what you did was wrong. So, we're going to do something about it. Now, I know what's scaring you here, Mom. Oh, my gosh. Is this the way my daughter thinks? I th Oh, I'm trying to raise her to be charitable and loving and caring and kind. And look at her. She's warped. Nah, you can't go that far. You don't know that. Is this a hostile kid toward everybody? she mad all the time? Does she want to hurt everybody all the time? I doubt it. I suspect this is just a teacher that, for whatever the reason, and the teacher may be a sweetheart, too, but maybe she's given a lot of homework. And also, don't, don't rule this one out, there could be a couple of three of them that are all thinking this stuff, and they fuel each other. Father Benedict Groeschel. Ah, oh, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Or I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh, yes, let me say it. And when I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man. While the police were coming, the ambulance, they removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Call to Communion. Through EWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I've found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved West. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. 
Good to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday, where I look through the stack here, and I see what people have written in, and try to do my best to give a few thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. All right, let me leave that. Oh, that's a good one there. All right, let's do this one here. I am wondering if you have any advice on how to move on after being betrayed by my boyfriend and church. Well, okay, I'm going to stop there because my guess would be it isn't the whole church that's betrayed you. It's just certain people within your parish. I was raised Catholic since the age of 11. One way or another, I was always very active in the church. When I was 26, I met my now ex-boyfriend through my church's young adult group. We dated about three weeks and decided to get married. Now that is quick. I think it's safe to say here you didn't know him. That'd be my guess, and he didn't know you. So, in a sense... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I misread that. Whoops. Let me go back. We dated for about three years. I don't know why I saw three weeks on that. Three years. Okay. That changes everything. Decided to get married. Our friends were happy for us. His mother, not so much. She attends the local parish. Various reasons did not like me. Maybe that was due to you, or maybe it was just due to the fact that uh, she's not going to like anybody that dates her son. I don't know. Long story short, she gave my ex-boyfriend an ultimatum. Choose her, or choose me. Uh Uh-huh. He chose me. All right, just from what limited knowledge I have, that was good. But then she started talking to our friends, and things got ugly. Sides were taken, and he left me. I don't know what she said. I don't know how nasty she fought try to break up your relationship I, I don't I don't know that I don't know any of it once again I'm coming back to the old idea of is there just a lot of stuff about you that she didn't like or is there this is who she is and and she's going to be intolerant and not want her son to date somebody that she doesn't 102 percent approve of I tried going to other parishes but everyone knows my ex's mother and they gave me dirty looks. Now, uh, that that one's I'm su- suspect about. Um, it may be she's known at other parishes because she's been long involvement in your parish, b- but I I don't know how, how many people she could influence. My guess would be a handful. And if you say to me, no, 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 Dr. Ray, you don't understand. She can, she can be devastating. She'll just do everything. She will do everything 
to belittle me and to make it seem like I was so evil and vicious and wrong. Some have even yelled at me. How dare I show my face at such and such parish? Hmm. Again, writer, I don't know um, why this has gotten so out of control. I don't know why it has spread to other parishes. But I think here's the critical part of it. Because of this, I'm afraid to go to Mass. That isn't like me. I love the church and I miss going to Mass in person. All right. You may not like my suggestion. Go to Mass. But Dr. Ray, there, there are people there who give me dirty looks. There are people there who, who have even scolded me. Yeah, how long are they going to keep doing that? Are they going to keep doing it for the next 27 Masses that you attend? Eventually, they're going to let it go. And if you know that you did nothing wrong in all of this, her gossiping, which I'm a little more convinced that's what it was, because even if she didn't like you, and even if there is some reasoning behind her, and she convinced her son she didn't need to take it any further. And the fact that she took it further and attempted to trash your reputation tells me more about her than it does about you. So do not give up our Lord for the fact that there are other people who are going to believe what she says. You can't do anything about that. If it were me, I'd go back to my home parish. And I'd say, thank you, Lord, that you're allowing me to be persecuted for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You said rejoice and be glad. So I want to do that. Don't give up the very center of your being, your belief system, your, your embracing of Christ and his church because of some nastiness, no matter how widespread, on the part of this woman. Now, here's the other thing. This is the good news. If it wasn't you, in other words, as you as you take an honest, subjective look at yourself and you say, yeah, I got my flaws, but wow, there isn't anything about me that this guy should turn tail and run. Then you learn something. You learn that his mother could control him. And that most likely wasn't going to go away after you got married. I cannot tell you how many spouses come to me and say, this person's mother or this person's father is still controlling them terribly. It causes great strain in our marriage. But they won't stand up to them. I think you might want to, when you go back to Mass, say an extra prayer of gratitude 
that you found this out now and not after the marriage? Maybe the Lord was protecting you because if she can do that to him and she can and she can do this across a number of people, which you say she has, then if you married him, you were going to have to deal with her. And I don't know if she was going to change to be softer. From God, Father John Tregilio shares his experience. You know, I first uh, felt a vocation when I was uh, about seven years old, made my first Holy Communion. I remember distinctly kneeling there at the communion railing, uh, waiting for the priest to come by and bring me communion. And that's the first time I entertained the, the thought of, may, I could do this. I would like to be able to give communion to people to celebrate Mass. All through Catholic grade school, I kept thinking about it, praying about it. Finally, when um, I got to eighth grade, I decided I'd go to the high school seminary. I had a cousin who was a priest. He was a, a very holy man. He was a positive influence. My pastor was a holy man, loved the Blessed Sacrament and Our Lady. And, of course, Father Levis. Uh, those influences just kept me going through the seminary. And most of all, my mom and dad's encouragement, uh, they never forced me to, to stay in. They always say, if you leave, there's no disgrace, but whatever you decide to do, we'll back you up. That helped me stay in, because where I'm at today, the people I serve uh, in, in the Diocese of Harrisburg, the work I do uh, with Father Levis on EWTN, that would never have happened. If you would have told me back in 1980 that I'd be doing uh, Faith Matters or uh, Web of Faith, I'd say, you know, go see a doctor, because somebody hit you on the head. But uh, the fact that I'm here is a sign that God's providence can't be conquered uh, even by other people's uh, influences. For information on the priesthood or religious life, log on to www.ewtn.com slash religious life. Have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi? Program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, one o'clock Eastern Time. It's co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, which is some four hundred plus stations now, kind of around the country and around the world. Also, um, Sirius Satellite Channel one thirty, as well as a whole, just a whole bunch of uh, apps. And web streaming places, just just everywhere, all over the place. I mean, you could be in Tierra del Fuego and pick it up. Well, you better know the language. See, Person Monday, let's take this one. Topic, red shirting question. This, no, ladies, 
This is not a question about fashion. Hey, Doc. Okay, now, does that tell you whether this is a guy or a lady writing this question? Hey, Doc. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Although I'm not Roman Catholic, I'm Eastern Orthodox. I often listen to modern-day radio on my commute, back when I have a commute. My question, which is about red shirting in kindergarten. I haven't heard this topic come up yet, though I imagine you have addressed it at some point. Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, The whole idea of holding kids back and when to hold them back and does it make difference in maturity, does it make difference in academics, does it make difference in ultimate achievement. My son is three years old now, small for his age. He's uh, 39 months old, so it would be three, three years, three months, in the 20th percentile. Well, he's not small. I mean, I can say, let me put you this way. When my son was three, he was below the chart. He wasn't on the chart in size. Now, what is he now? He's about 5'9", 160, 165, okay? And for much of his early childhood, he was not on the charts. He was small. All right, so 20% is not, eh, low average. In addition to that, he was born very close to the school cutoff date, meaning everybody in his class will be older than him if we follow the standard age grade guideline. So that will be a double whammy on smallness for him to grow up with. Yes and no, you don't know that, Dad. You don't know that. We recently started preschool, verified this for ourselves. He was easily the smallest in his class. My wife and I are not so concerned about his academics as he seems very bright, if not very linguistically advanced. Okie dokie, let me, let me jump in there. If you hold him back, say you hold him back in kindergarten for an extra year, you're probably going to have a kid, if he's very bright and linguistically advanced, who's reading, at least at an elementary level. And he's going to go to kindergarten where they learn the letter people. How, how bored will he be? Now, maybe in his particular kindergarten, oh, there'll be some room for him to, to stretch. However, that's, that's something to take into account. I'm curious if and when you recommend holding a child back a year, especially a boy. Assuming boy doesn't have a huge growth spurt sometime between now and when real school starts. I, I'm going to tell you what a study said that I came across some time back. It said when a child is held back for birthday reasons, and usually that's what it is. It's, it's by and large not because he's small or it's not because he's immature, although that is that is one that's tagged a lot, but because it's his birthday. He's a boy, he would say he turns five in July, you know, the school cutoff date is September 30. Uh, that's pretty close, you know, he's going to be one of the younger kids in there. Uh, what about sports when he's in the ninth grade and all this happens? The study that I came across said that by third grade, the differences in achievement, academic performance between those held back and those not washed out. Which, 
which doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I I can see that. Um, it's so much. Do you know? You know the number one, the number one variable impact on a kid's performance in school: parental involvement. It dwarfs everything else. It dwarfs money. It dwarfs class size. It dwarfs necessarily the school setting, although those can be definitely hindering. So by your question, it, I'm going to speculate. You're a very involved dad. You're a very involved uh, wife. No, you're very involved, not, not you're a very involved wife. So, so given that, his size would not be a factor for me. As I said, my son, we homeschooled, but we didn't start till he was in the third grade. And we sent him to preschool, and we sent him to kindergarten, and he was definitely one of the smaller kids. There's no question. But what whatever may have happened in terms of kids picking on him, we, we kept a close eye on it, and it was it was not an issue. It didn't happen. It didn't occur. Okay. Uh, let's see. Due to our finances, we will have to put my son in public school. I'm concerned about the potential for bullying and him not having the best opportunity to be a leader of his young peers. While growing up, how do you know he won't be a leader? See, I, I think a little bit of what's happening here is speculation. What if this happens? Well, I'll speculate the other way. What if you hold him back, and by the time he gets to school, he's going to be so bored by being there, because he already knows all this stuff, and he's like, a, like an engine ready to run, and the brake is on. My daughter turned five on September 30th. The cutoff for her school district, at the, well, for the, for the Ohio school district was September 30th. Every single voice in her preschool said, hold her back. Hold her back. We said, Why? Well, she's very quiet. She's very low profile. We don't really know what she knows. And we said, well, we kind of know what she knows. And uh, Hanny's pretty close to reading. Um, so we sent her on. And yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it caught up to us. Caught up to Hannah. Yep. She graduated college at age 20 the youngest captain that we know of in the U.S. Army. She's now a lifer in the Army, major. We decided that holding her back would probably have more complications than sending her on and dealing with the fact that she was the youngest kid, which I was the youngest kid, in some cases by, by many months in there. But Dr. Ray, she's a girl. Girls are more able to attend than little boys. They don't have the energy level of little boys. They don't have the maturity of little boys. That's true. That is true. That's a factor. However, um, Zane, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I can't tell you what to do with your son. I'm just giving you both sides. And if you're going to listen to the consensus of voices out there, you're going to hear, oh, no, absolutely not. But when the time comes, you know your son. And here's the other thing. He's not gone to school in a vacuum. He's got a loving mom and dad right behind him. To help him navigate whatever might come up. 
And maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe there'll be some issues you have to deal with, but that doesn't mean it's going to mess him up. Just my, well, I was going to say just my two cents, but that's really about, really about a quarter worth. I'm Dr. Ray. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. Christ is the Answer, with Father John Ricardo. In the midst of our culture today, in this age of relativism, which wants to grant Jesus some significance, but not so much, so we'll give him wise man, great leader, inspiring preacher, great teacher, prophet. You don't get that option when you claim to be God. What reasons do we have to believe that he is who he said he is? And it's important, again, to employ the use of our reason and to understand that faith is not blind. My faith, and please God, the faith of everyone here, is not blind. It rests on something. It rests on a number of things, not least of which is my own experience of God, but it also has something substantial which can be claimed through history. We're not talking about a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, when we talk about Jesus. We're talking about a precise moment in history which has been testified to by countless testimonies, and you and I have access to them. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Over the last 50 years, we've had some of the greatest popes since the Reformation era. So why are things such a mess in American Catholicism? How do we analyze and confront the attacks we're facing? How do we identify wolves in sheep's clothing? How do we re-evangelize the baptized? Dr. Ralph Martin makes sense of a church in crisis and shows pathways forward. He'll make sense of a disordered world. Go to AveMariaRadio.net and you'll find it in our online bookstore. Thank you for joining me here. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. Program is The Doctor Is In. This is our Monday version of The Doctor Is In. E-Person Monday. Had to do something. We just absolutely had to do something about the emails. Because they're coming in as fast and furious as the calls do. Um, and I just didn't want to either let them sit. I try to respond at some small level to each and every one, which can, get, can, can be a lot. Now, I, I don't give a whole lot of advice. Uh, percentage of the emails would like a referral to somebody in their area, and I give them some websites. Percentage of them ask about a book. A percentage of them say, hey, I like you. And percentage of them say, hey, shut up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but these these are those which, I mean, people, they're, they're proper length. Proper length. Um, oh, boy, that's a, I got a three-minuter. I don't think I have anything for three-minuter. Let's this, do this one quickly here. I'm a 31-year-old mom of a two-year-old. Found out we're expecting in. My husband, myself, and my daughter made a big move from living overseas in Germany to moving in with my dad this past February, just before my mom passed away. 
My husband, now working full-time after also being at home since February. I mean, in Germany, I would imagine our military family here. I'd been working part-time when we worked uh, when we lived abroad, but I'm a stay-at-home mom. Since moving in with my dad, my husband have, and I have noticed our anxiety is higher, but the benefits of being here for him far outweigh our little frustrations. However, I've slipped into a bad habit of spanking or a threat of spanking. My daughter, I don't, I don't mind spanking her if she's going to run out in the road when it's dangerous, but I find myself spanking her while I'm angry. I would love to learn alternative examples for disciplining my two-year-old. My knee-jerk reaction is to get angry, but I'm concerned I am meaner than my dad was toward me as a kid. <laughs> and my daughter isn't even talking back yet. <laughs> okay. Well, they, oh boy. She says, she asked, she asked this. A seriously related question. Is it possible there could be a demon of anger attached to our family? <laughs> I can't know that, but my guess would be no. My guess would be you're getting real frustrated because this little two-year-old is becoming a two-year-old and uh, becoming a little more willful, and you are just relying on spanking rather than putting her in a corner, rather than putting her in her crib if she's still there with the rails up. You need a place to put her so that maybe even a, a playpen, so that you can just immediately time her out and you don't have to fight with her. You can do this before your anger gets the best of you. I suspect your anger is getting the best of you because you're thinking, she should not be acting this way! Why is she making my life miserable? So given that, you say my knee-jerk reaction. I'm not sure it's a knee-jerk reaction, Mom. <clears throat> I think it's a reaction based upon a thinking expectation which says why is she so frustrating why can't she be more cooperative why can't she do what I tell her to do why does she make everything a battle why am I such a poor mom why don't I know what I'm doing I'm pregnant now it's gonna be even worse I don't even want to think about the future all that's gone through your head I know it when none of that really applies other than she's two years old and she's pushing on you a little bit. And you use the corner, you use the steps, you use something that you can place her in a quiet spot. Now she's going to get up. You know that. She's going to get up because she doesn't believe you can make this stick. Well, how do you want to make it stick? If you say, I want to swat her bottom, okay, so you can do that. If you say, I'm going to put her in a playpen so she can't get out, and then I'm going to take her out and put her back in the corner where she needs to go. Yeah, you can do that. But right now, believe it or not, this is the easiest time to establish your authority. You get it now. And you won't have anywhere near the frustration in the next years. I have a book. It's called Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime. It's my most popular parenting book. 100 questions I get most often from parents ages 2 on up. Confidence, authority, what do you do when they don't listen? What do you do when they defy you and argue with you? What do you do when you're frustrated? How do you lower your fuse? How do you not trip, switch, react? All those questions. It's on my website, drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com. There's 14 other books there. All of them are signed. Uh, I would recommend it because it can give you a whole lot of advice. And I deal with some two-year-olds in that book whole lot of advice for taking charge of the situation and there you go Catherine 
Hang in there, girl. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. I certainly appreciate your company. Oh, I'm after waiting for Andrew to say 10 seconds, which he always says. He always says, 10 seconds. There it is, 10 seconds. And the music. Walk with God. Always. It's the only infinite walk, you know. Every other walk ends. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, this is Kate Danzi, the Center Coordinator of Education at Regina Chaley Academy here in San Antonio, located at 303 West Ramsey. For more information, find us online at rcahybrid.org or give us a call at 361-298-0796. The Guadalupe Radio Network is grateful for the financial support of Dr. David Seguin and Dental Care of San Antonio, who help make Catholic Radio possible. Dental Care of San Antonio is a general and family practice and is committed to making your trips to the dentist enjoyable and ensuring your smile is the first thing you want people to see. You can reach Deacon David Seguin and Associates at 496-2533 for an appointment to find out more about state-of-the-art dentistry in San Antonio. 496-2533. When doing your Christmas shopping this year, consider using smile.amazon.com and be sure to click La Promesa Foundation. Not only are you giving a gift to a friend or loved one or even yourself, no judging, but you're also supporting the soul-saving programming of the Guadalupe Radio Network. It's literally the gift that keeps on giving. So put Christ in Christmas this year and in someone's life by going to smile.amazon.com and be sure to click La Promesa Foundation. It's a soul-saving click away. This is 89.7 FM KJMA Radio, Floresville, San Antonio. Also online at grnonline.com. We don't mess with the truth. Hear it, love it, live it. Power of prayer. Why do we pray anyway if we end up having to do so much work for ourselves? Well, the reality is we find ourselves up against a wall and we pray. It's like God turns a light up on the other side of that wall, brighter and brighter and brighter until the light shines through the tiniest cracks. God might not do it all for me, but he shows me how to make my work more efficient so that together we can accomplish all things through his grace. Have you heard of Amazon Echo? It's a virtual personal assistant that allows you to use just your voice. You can listen to EWTN Radio just by saying, Alexa, play EWTN Radio. Check out the Amazon Echo today.